This evening, we come to the end of the middle section of Mark's Gospel. We're in Mark chapter 10. The first seven chapters were telling us mainly who is Jesus. We saw his character and the things that he did, his miracles, some great things in those first seven chapters. Then from chapter 8 onwards, we had the disciples' confession that Jesus is the Messiah. The big, middle, central, pivotal point of the Gospel. And then from chapters 8 to now, Jesus has proceeded mainly to teach his disciples, to show them what does it mean to be my disciple. And so as we finish that section tonight, I want to draw back on some of the things we've learned so far, bring them together before we head on to Jerusalem, which will be next week. Last week we looked at James and John, and we thought about this request they brought to Jesus. A quick look at that, verse 35 of chapter 10. Believing that Jesus was going to come and set up his kingdom, they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Let one of us sit on your right, and one of us on your left, in your glory. And we thought about the fact that they wanted fame, they wanted to have power and prestige, they wanted control and status and respect. But we saw that really God's kingdom is not about those things, but God's kingdom is about humility, sacrifice, service. It's about putting Jesus first, serving others, but putting ourselves last. So we had a question, and, and this week too, verse 46, we have another man who comes to Jesus with another request. So let's have a read of that from verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the side road of the side of the road, begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called up to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And here's the question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You notice Jesus asked him the same question he asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Rabbi, I want to see. What's the difference between the blind man's request and, and James and John's request from last week? And so one came from this desire for fame. Whereas Bartimaeus, he has a hunger for Jesus and a hunger for faith. James and John's request is selfish. And though, of course, the blind man wants sight for himself, he wants sight so he can see Jesus and so he can follow him along the road.
And so this evening, let's ask ourselves the same question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? If he were to be passing through Oxford this week, and you had the opportunity to run up to him and ask him a question, or to ask him to do something for you, what would it be? Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, what would you like Jesus to do for you? What should we ask Jesus as Christians? We think about this sort of thing, it reminds me of the Old Testament in King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. God said to him, I will give to you whatever you ask. And Solomon asked for wisdom. Wisdom to rule God's kingdom well. And God said to him, because you didn't ask for fame and wealth and the death of your enemies, I will give these things to you anyway, as well as wisdom. We've been thinking about the fact that when we pray and want to serve God, that doing it for our own selfish gain is not what it's about. It's not what it means to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. And so tonight I want to suggest that we be like Bartimaeus, our character in the story, and that we ask for sight, that we want to see. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus to be freed from the darkness and the sin. We want to see Jesus so that we can follow him along the road of discipleship. So, firstly, we want to see, or I want to see, sin and repent of it. I want to see sin and repent of it. We meet Bartimaeus near the edge of the city of Jericho. Jericho is about 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Jesus, as we know, is on his way to Jerusalem. He passes through Jericho on the way. And Bartimaeus is a man sitting by the side of the road, begging. He's blind. Blind people in those days, very poor, hence the begging. They couldn't work, they couldn't earn money, they were illiterate, they were thought to be spiritually weak. They were social outcasts and ignored, they were rejected by society. And yet do you notice that when we meet this blind man, we know his name. Do you know anyone else's name? who's been healed so far in Mark's Gospel. We know his name. We know he gets healed, he follows Jesus, and so something that, because we know his name, is because he's healed so near the end of Jesus' life, and perhaps he became a Christian, and he went on to follow Jesus and with the other disciples, and so he became a well-known case study of what Jesus has done. But when we meet him here in our passage, we see that he's blind and socially awkward and and apparently spiritually weak. And for poor Bartimaeus by the side of the road, he knows full well his condition. He knows the disadvantage it is to his life that he can't work, that he can't go to the temple, that he has no friends, he's trapped. You could even say that he's enslaved by his blindness. His whole life is affected by it. But he wants to see. He wants to see physically, of course, so he can live a changed life, live a life life like other people, and do the things like other people do. But he wants to see also to see Jesus, to see the Messiah that he knows he is, and to follow him. If you think back a few weeks ago, back in February, actually, when we were in chapter 8 
and we heard about another healing, healing of the man outside of Bethsaida. Jesus healed this man in two parts. It was that peculiar healing. And Jesus did that because he wanted to teach his disciples something about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And he partially healed the man and told him, what can you see? And he could see people walking around like trees. And Jesus was saying that the disciples had come to know something of the truth, but not the full truth. They had partial sight of who Jesus was, but not the full sight. And so he uses physical blindness as an example of spiritual blindness. That their eyes were only partially open. And spiritual blindness in the Bible is, is a great way of describing the state of humanity outside of Christ. As Christians, we know that without him, our human condition is that we don't know God, we don't see him, we don't understand, we don't want him. Bartimaeus is physically blind, but yet he represents all those who are spiritually blind, who don't know Christ. So we will see Jesus in a minute, but first we need to understand why we need to see Jesus. To understand the seriousness of spiritual blindness. We know that Jesus came to be a ransom because we are stuck and enslaved to sin. Bartimaeus is enslaved to blindness. The paralytic in chapter 2 is enslaved to his disability. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years in chapter 5 was enslaved to her illness. The man who was possessed by legion is enslaved by demons. But above all of these things, they're all enslaved to sin. Like physical blindness for Bartimaeus was destroying his life, so too does spiritual blindness. If you're not a Christian this evening, do you know that living a life away from God is destroying your life? Leading along the path of separation from him. Whether life is easy or hard, good or bad, living apart from God is not what we were created for. We were made to know him, to know God through his son, to enjoy him and to wait for him, to spend eternal life with him. And so the first question we must ask ourselves is, do we see? Do we see our condition and our state before God without Christ? Our relationship with him in blindness? If we are a Christian, then we have come to understand that we've come to understand sin, its consequences. But of course we know that sin still exists in our life. We know how destructive it is to our thoughts, and our actions and our relationships. We know that we've been forgiven, but yet do we still have a desire to see sin and repent of it? Do you want to die to sin in your life? Do you want to grow to know Jesus better? Do you want to see sin so that you can repent of it? When we think of it in our own lives, we know that sin that so easily entangles us, that stunts our growth, that affects our relationships, that hampers the way we can serve Jesus. Do we want to see sin and repent of it? Or are we happy just plodding along in our Christian life the way that it is? Seeing but just staying put? Are we happy to take what Jesus offers to us, but yet not want him to interfere too much in our lives? That can be a temptation. We know sin, sin 
we can love sin sometimes, we think we've repented of sin sometimes, but we know it comes back and bites us. Repenting is not easy. But yet is it our desire. We know there will never, there'll never come a day in this life when we will be free from sin. But is it our desire to want to increasingly become more like Jesus, to repent of sin that is in our lives? We know that when God, by his spirit, reveals to us sin in our lives, then we die to it. We die to it so that we can live in him, in the freedom that Jesus offers. And so for Bartimaeus, who wants to be free from his blindness, he shouts out to Jesus, have mercy on me. Do we take that attitude towards our own sin? Thinking of it spiritually. Do we want to get rid of it? Do we shout out to Jesus? Do we come to him crying out for mercy? To show mercy upon us? Let's develop that kind of attitude, that kind of heart and desire as Christians to want to kill sin in our lives. So we can better see Jesus and we can better follow Jesus. Well, how is it that we do this? Well, we come to Jesus. We want to see Jesus himself. And grow in faith. Read with me from verse 47. When he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Men rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. This is the first time that we've heard this title in Mark's Gospel. And for a Jew, the son of, title Son of David was important. It was a messianic title. When we get to chapter 12, we'll see that the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the Son of David. And they think back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God gives that promise to David that one day one of your sons will sit on the throne forever. He will set up his kingdom and he will rule And so this is a famous messianic prophecy. And the Jews would have understood it. And and Bartimaeus knew exactly what it meant. And he's linking it now with Jesus. But no one has used it of Jesus yet. The disciples know who he is. But they're told to be quiet. No outsider has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet here we have this man in Jericho. He's never met Jesus before. But he's declaring him to be the son of David. The Messiah. And although Bartimaeus has never met Jesus, he surely has heard of Jesus. He's heard the rumours and the stories and of all that Jesus has done throughout Israel. And he's put the prophecies of, of who the Messiah will be and Jesus together. And he's come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. And here he is, he's in my town. He's come. This is my chance to see him. Jesus of Nazareth. Or better, Jesus the Nazarene. This man from Nazareth, yes, but a, a man much more than just any ordinary man. A man who has anointing from God, who has power. And so if blind people are supposed to be spiritually illiterate, this guy certainly is not. He knows who Jesus is. And if you've been to evening services regularly over the last few months, we know who Jesus is too seen his claims, and we've seen his character, we've seen the things that he's done. We've been left with the question, is Jesus mad, bad, or God? 
And last week we saw that the reason Jesus came was to die for sin. And so Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. And when Jesus calls him, he comes, he throws off his cloak, he comes to Jesus and Jesus asks, asks him the same question he asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Bartimaeus comes in faith and he receives his sight by faith from Jesus. And he sees. And two, when we come to Jesus, we receive sight too. Spiritual sight. Our eyes are opened to know Jesus, to come to him. He is the one who heals the blind. He is the one who heals the sinner. Have you received that salvation from Jesus? Do you want to see? Do you want to see Jesus more? Not just to hear the stories on a Sunday night, but to receive him yourself. To know him personally. To live with him. To walk with him day by day. How is your personal relationship with Jesus? How well do you know him? Think back to the first time that you met Jesus and you are, and you said, I want to see Jesus. I want to know him for myself. Well, are we wanting to know him more and more still? To see more of his nature. To understand his person. To see more of his character and know what he's like. To understand his ways and purposes. To know his will and his plan. I've known Jesus for many years. I've known about him for much longer. But it's been great to know Jesus even better through Mark's gospel over these last few months. But does that lead me to want to keep on knowing him? Do we have that desire to want to run to Jesus and and receive sight from him? And to grow, to get to know him personally? And as we read and study, as we get into the difficult bits in the Bible and try to understand them, as we talk with one another and and share stories of what Jesus has done and what he is doing in our lives and we learn from people's experiences, then we grow, we grow in our faith. Not just becoming more like Jesus, but just knowing Jesus better, knowing him, yes, as our Savior and Lord, but as our friend. So let's make Knowing Jesus, wanting to know him the center, putting Jesus at the center of our life, including him in our lives and the things that we do and the places that we go. Let's have that same desire that Paul has when he writes to the Philippians and he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings and, and to somehow attain to that resurrection of the dead, to grow in faith. And growing in faith helps us better able to follow Jesus. To follow him along the path. And so finally we come to seeing the road. We want to see the road and follow him. When Bartimaeus asks for his sight, Jesus says, Go, your faith has healed you. And Mark tells us immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. For Bartimaeus, his life is radically changed. He can see. He can now go and live a life like all other people. He can get a job. He can find a home. He can make friends and go to the temple. 
His life has been changed. But Bartimaeus doesn't go off and get the life he always dreamed of. He doesn't turn away and go in his own direction. What does he do? He immediately he followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus became a disciple. And Jesus is interested in making disciples. He doesn't want converts. He wants disciples, people who are going to follow him. We've met many, many, many people. Not by name, but we've met them. People who come to Jesus to receive from him, to be healed, to be, have their demons cast out of them. Many. But how many of them kept following Jesus? How many received from him, but then walked away and carried on with their lives? Many received that physical salvation, but did they receive that spiritual salvation? Did they become disciples? You see, for Jesus, discipleship is the key. Discipleship is the evidence. It's the fruit of what it means to be a Christian. Not just to take from him, but to, to follow him. Jesus uses that word follow a few times in Mark's Gospel. In this middle section of, of Mark that we've come to an end. At the beginning, in chapter 8, he, he makes that, that kind of statement to, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He says to the rich young ruler in chapter 10, go sell all your possessions and then follow me. And we know there that the command to follow Jesus is costly. He demands everything of us. And in the chapters between Peter's confession and now we have learned what it means to be a disciple. We've thought about about what it means to deny ourselves and to follow him, to, to seek his glory and not our own glory, to have the correct attitude towards relationships and marriage and towards children. We thought about this seriousness of sin, the idolatry of materialism, that being a Christian is countercultural. To follow Jesus, yes, requires sacrifice, but it's mixed with great joy. And the disciples, or Peter says, well, we left everything for you to follow you. And Jesus said, yes. For you it may mean that you leave or lose your home and your family and your possessions. But in Christ, you receive all those things back. Family and home and possessions and persecutions. In this age, but yet in the age to come, what? Eternal life. Eternal life in Christ. And so to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, yes, is to see him and to know him, but it's to follow him, to follow him along the road, not just aimlessly, but to a destination. Coming to Christ, there is much joy and thanksgiving because of what he has done. We are overjoyed by his amazing grace, but yet now we have an opportunity to know him better, to enjoy Christ day by day, to share him with others, and so is it our desire to want to see the road, to see the path that Jesus has, and to follow him along it. Discipleship is about leaving our sin at the side of the road, at the cross, to be more exact. To know Jesus and to follow him. And so what do we need to do to see that happen? What, what areas of our lives, what areas... Are we still harboring sin? 
as we walk along that road, what do we still have on our back that's weighing us down heavy? Are we willing for the Spirit to convict us of sin so that we can hate it and repent of it and turn from it, that it will ease our load and make the path easier? We know that when we repent of sin, it leaves a gap, and so that gap must then be filled with, with godliness. As the Lord works within us to change behaviour and habits and thoughts, attitudes, words, are we, by his grace, changing those things to become godly behaviour, godly habits, godly attitudes, as we walk along the path with him, with his spirit within us, following Jesus? Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He will arrive there next Sunday night. He's on his way to the cross, and we know that. Yeah, we also know that beyond the cross is the resurrection. And that resurrection, as we thought about this morning, if you were there, is that guarantee, that, that hope that we have of eternal resurrection in Christ. Let me leave you with an image from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim, through hearing God's word, hearing the gospel, is convicted of his sin. He describes sin as a heavy burden upon his back. And he's wandering around trying to find a way to relieve himself of this burden. And he meets Evangelist, and Evangelist points him in the direction beyond the wicked gate, to the cross. And at the cross, he finds freedom from his burden. And yet Pilgrim, who is known as Christian, he hasn't come to the end of his journey. He's only just beginning it. And throughout the book, you see him walking along the road, along the path to heaven. And he faces difficulties along the road, and he meets obstacles, and there are temptations to go off the path. There are people who come to push him away. But yet as he grows in faith, and as he becomes closer to Jesus, and as he sees the celestial city in the distance... He has that hope and that vision, and he keeps going towards it. And so it is with us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we walk with Jesus, we follow him. So will you follow him? Will you keep following him? Will you be obedient to things that we have learned between, in this middle section of Mark's Gospel to become a disciple of Jesus Christ?